Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, May 17th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Toyota is hiring in Mississippi, and they're very clear about the type of employees they want on their team. Find out more. Everyone at Toyota works on teams, so we are definitely looking for people that are good team players and that have respect for other people. And a historic site in Mississippi is getting national attention. What's next for the Evers home in Jackson? Then learn the risks for hepatitis C while you might need to be tested. In today's book club, we'll hear from author Michael Cardos on his new novel, Bluff. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Toyota is in the process of hiring 400 team members to begin manufacturing Corollas at its Blue Springs plant. Officials say it's a $170 million investment that involves replacing old equipment with automation. Whitney Thompson is a staffing specialist at Toyota. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier no management positions are available because they promote from within. We at Toyota normally promote our management within. So we are looking for production team members to be able to build our cars. And what are the qualifications? What are you looking for from the people that you hire? The biggest thing that we are looking for is a good work ethic. We want people who are willing to show up every day on time and be able to work with a smile. Tell us, what is the process of becoming hired by Toyota? Sure. The easiest way is to go to toyotamscareer.com. And at that website, a candidate would fill out two applications. One would be for resourcemfg.com, who is the one that will be doing the hiring for these positions. And then once that application is complete, they would need to fill out or take our online assessment. What's an online assessment? So it is an, an assessment that measures the capability that a candidate would have for being successful at Toyota. So are you looking for certain answers to see that they can work with other people well, that they have a a personality that is cooperative, more of like a team approach? Yes. Everyone at Toyota works on teams, so we are definitely looking for people that are good team players and that have respect for other people. 
So tell us about Resource MFG. Is this a temporary employment agency? So Resource MFG is the uh, variable workforce company. We call the, the variable workforce. Team members are hired through. They are working on-site at Toyota every day, but they are considered to be variables with, with Resource MFG. Does that mean that the bulk of your staff are employees that are hired through this company? No, it is less than 30% of our current workforce here at Toyota that are variables. But if you want to work for Toyota, do you have to go through this process as a resource MFG employee first? Yes. The only way to be a Toyota production team member is to start with resource MFG. That is the pool where we pull our candidates from. Is it more like just screening, a way to screen people? It is a good way of seeing how a person will fit in at Toyota before they are hired on full-time. And how long do they work as a resource MFG employee before they can be considered for full-time with Toyota? There is no set standard for that. It depends on business need. In terms of hiring, tell us um, where you're at right now. Have you begun the hiring process? Are you in the middle of it? How many people have you brought on? So of the 400, we have made offers to or brought on around 100. And within what span of time? We have started our hiring um, in May, and between May and June, there will be 100 new hires that come through the door. I'm sorry. How many people do you have to go through to get that 400? To get the 400, we would need to go through around 4,000 applicants based on our traditional pass rates. 4,000 applicants? Yes. We have about 10% of every 100 applicants will actually make it to Toyota. They might say, ooh, you're real picky. Well, we definitely want the best of the best. Is there a number of people involved in the process of hiring? There are several different steps for it, and so there will be um, different places do different things for the assessment and our interview and the drug screens. So you have a drug screening, you have the online assessments. What else is involved? Yes, the very first thing after your application is the online assessment, and that usually takes between one and one and a half hours. And then anyone that passes that will be invited to our production simulation. That's what we consider to be more a day in the life of a Toyota team member. It's about a six-hour test where someone would go through and do physical work. And then after that is a phone interview, which will last about 30 minutes, and then a drug screen and a tour. So they would get a tour of Toyota to see kind of what it would be like to be working here and the drug screen. And then after that, they go through a physical screening. And then once they are cleared through the pool, then they just are waiting for an offer. What is the salary? The hourly rate starts at $15.01 per hour, and that includes a $0.65 rotating premium. Every two weeks, our team members rotate between day shift and night shift. And that $0.65... It's for rotating? Yes, that is for the rotating premium. So some places will pay you more money if you're working night shift. We pay everybody more money because they are rotating shifts. How's that working out? It works out pretty well. I myself did it for about a year and a half. I thought it was really convenient because I bought a house during that time frame, and I didn't take a second off of work. I didn't use any of my vacation time. I went and looked at houses and did all my paperwork when I was on night shift, so it worked out really well for me. Hours are 6.30 a.m. to 3.15 p.m. when you're on day shift and 6.30 p.m. to 3.15 a.m. when you're on night shift. Toyota Staffing Specialist Whitney Thompson. 
Don Lewis is Chief Operations Officer for the City of Tupelo. He tells our Desiree Fraser what the expansion means for the area. It means a diversity in our job market. It means that we're going to have a chance to not only be dealing in the automotive industry, but we'll also continue in the furniture industry, the hospitality industry, and it will be great for North Mississippi. What are you seeing as its impact right now? Well, we feel the impact from from the employees that they have right now. We have people that stay here, that live here, that shop here. Tupelo is kind of like a regional hub for North Mississippi, and uh, the union between the two is uh, is fantastic. When the company first came, did you see it having this kind of influence? I think it was always uh, believed that it would have this type influence. Uh, the thing that came about was the speed that it would happen, depending on the economy. How long would it t- uh, take for you to feel the impact of of an expansion? And going on uh, just a little over 10 years now, so uh, I think everything's on course for what they had planned. Well, Don Lewis with the City of Tupelo, thank you so much for speaking with us. You're welcome. Thank you. More information is available at toyotamscareer.com. Coming up, a historic site in Mississippi is getting national attention. What's next for the Evers home? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Residents in the small English town of Windsor are getting ready for this weekend's royal wedding between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Probably there will be more in the shops because people are coming from all over the world. And people like to buy something. If they've been to a royal wedding, it's something to look at and remember them by. A royal wedding preview. Yes, we're going there next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Mississippi Edition, the only daily radio news magazine that covers the whole state. I'm Karen Brown. A Mississippi congressman says preservation of Mississippi's civil rights history is behind his effort to make the Medgar Evers home a national monument. Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson introduced House Resolution 4895, which passed the House this week. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the home has been preserved by Tougaloo College. You know, I was on the Tougaloo College Board of Trustees when uh, Mrs. Evers discussed and ultimately gave Tougaloo the custody of the home for preservation purposes. And obviously Tougaloo, with its long-term mission to civil rights and other things, gladly accepted it. But obviously in doing so, you know, you have to do maintenance on the home, provide someone there to uh, provide guided tours and and uh, provide uh, what we consider a significant educational opportunity to people who come. But you have to secure it, too. And uh, over time, that's that's very costly. And we looked around and saw what other monuments uh, like this started to, to look for resources, and it became very obvious that the National Park Service is a natural Megawiley Evers, national hero, shot down in his driveway of his home. And the world should not just know that, 
but if they're in the area, they need to see his home as it was when he was assassinated, but they need to hear uh, the civil rights history of Mississippi and how Mega Evers contributed significantly to that legacy. So uh, it's a national historic landmark, but that doesn't get the funding that's needed for upkeep? It will. Uh, At this point, Tougaloo is picking up the tab. So we're trying to transfer the responsibility in this bill by the designation to the Department of the Interior. And they will provide all of the necessary resources to preserve, protect uh, the Mega Evers home. Why do this when the National Park Service is doing a study? They've got that house on their list, and they're looking at other civil rights uh, sites to recommend. Well, it's a study, you know, uh, and that's one way of getting it done, but there's no guarantee at the end of the study it will get adopted. By doing this, this guarantees in a much shorter period of time that the designation will occur. How long would this take? We have to have a companion bill in the Senate, just like this in the House. I'm convinced that given the rules of the Senate, they can basically take it off the table in the Senate and take it straight to the floor without formal hearings or anything. So I feel very good given that we have broad bipartisan support of the bill. Uh, It came out of uh, subcommittee and committee. Uh, without a single dissenting vote. So with that level of support, I feel very good about it. A timeline uh, I can't give you, so uh, we will continue to work it uh, to make sure that in as fast a period of time as possible, we get it done. The U.S. Senate must now decide whether it will take up the measure. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, learn the risks for hepatitis C, what you might need to be tested, why you might need to be tested. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Normally, I don't recommend eavesdropping, but feel free to join in on my conversations. Our guest this week is dancer and motivational speaker Nicole Marquez. A year after my accident, I went back to New York because I wanted to thank all my doctors and nurses for putting Humpty Dumpty back together. And one of the nurses let me know. She's like, you know, we rarely see internal decapitations come into the hospital. We don't really see anybody go out. Sundays at 530 and Thursdays at 10 on MPB. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians born between 1945 and 1965 are five times more likely to be diagnosed with hepatitis C, the disease that is the leading cause of liver cancer and can cause serious health problems, including liver damage and cirrhosis. Officials say three out of four people diagnosed with the disease never knew they were infected. May is Hepatitis Awareness Month, and the Mississippi State Department of Health recommends those at risk be tested. This includes anyone born during between 1945 and 1965, those with a history of injection, drug use, and anyone who is HIV positive. Dr. Bagarishi Navakili at the University of Mississippi Medical Center tells MPB's Ashley Norwood more. As of now, we actually have 
very good treatment options available for hepatitis C. The treatment options we had previously included only IV treatment, and these were um, quite uh, toxic medications with lot of side effects and questionable cure. But at this point, uh, there are multiple oral medications which are available based on criteria, and if the patient will qualify for the medication on that, uh, it's determined by the physician who's seeing the patient. So if the person has hepatitis C and qualifies for those treatments, we give around um, 12 weeks of treatment, oral treatment only, and we have seen good success with cure of hepatitis C. So those who have had hep C and have received these treatments have remained clear or have had a negative viral load so far. So it's very good to see that for those who were exposed, we are able to get them cleared of the infection now. This is especially true because once you get the infection, you might not even know that you have the infection. You might be sick for a few days, like uh, pain in the stomach, nausea, vomiting, and get better. But around 70 to 80% people can get chronic infection of hepatitis C and then go on to develop uh, cirrhosis of the liver, cancer, uh, liver failure. So that's why it's really important that we catch them at the right time and treat them, especially when we have good treatment options. Where are some places that people could go to get screenings? It's extremely important that if the person fits the criteria for uh, getting uh, checked for uh, hepatitis C, then they should get testing tested for hepatitis C because early identification and treatment will be helpful to prevent any long-term damage to the liver. And they can uh, get themselves checked. A health department can uh, perform this uh, check up uh, the routine uh, their local provider, a primary care provider should be able to as well check uh, them for hepatitis C. Um, and we have a, a clinic uh, from the University of Mississippi Medical Center, uh, the medical mall clinic where we can check for hepatitis C as well. Dr. Navakili is an assistant professor of infectious diseases medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Navakili, thank you again so much for your time. No problem. Thank you so much. Saturday is National Hepatitis Testing Day. Coming up, we'll hear from author Michael Cardos on his new novel, Bluff. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next MPB Season Pass, two of our guests will be the Ole Miss men's and women's track and field coach, four-time Olympian, Connie Price-Smith, and also U.S. National Whitewater freestyle kayaking team member and Mississippian, Matt Anger. If you like interesting stories and learning about intriguing sports, listen to MPB Season Pass today on MPB Think Radio and on the Internet at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Michael Cardos is the author of Bluff. He also penned the novels Before He Finds Her and The Three-Day Affair, an Esquire Best Book of 2012. 
The Mississippi writer has won the Mississippi Institute of Arts and Letters Award for fiction with his story collection, One Last Good Time. Cardos has even put together a textbook called The Art and Craft of Fiction, A Writer's Guide. The Jersey Shore native received a degree in music from Princeton University, an MFA in fiction from the Ohio State University, and a Ph.D. from the University of Missouri. He now lives in Starkville, where he is an associate professor of English and co-director of the Creative Writing Program at Mississippi State University. In today's book club, Michael Cardos tells us about his process and new book, Bluff. I think the one thing I've gotten better at over the years of writing is detecting when something isn't working. I don't ever know going into a work day if it's going to be a good day or a bad day. And Sue Grafton had one of the greatest things I heard a writer say, which is that the reason she writes every day is because she said, you know, I'm only smart about one day a month, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know what day that's going to be. So I have to show up every day because I don't want to miss that day. And I think that was really kind of great. So I, I try to show up and do the work, but I think I've gotten better over the years at knowing when a scene is not happening or there's not momentum there or something's wrong with it and sort of knowing it's worth kind of sticking with it and trying to figure out the problem. Tell us how Bluff came about. Bluff came about because I was a little kid who really liked magic. I was 11, 12 years old and really into it. And I, uh, when I was in eighth grade, my English teacher started a magic club and I was in that. And then I did magic uh, in the New Jersey boardwalk for a couple of summers in high school and uh, was always interested in writing something about magic. And then um, when I was a grad student, I happened to teach a fiction class with an undergrad who was already a very accomplished magician. He was touring the world at age 20, and we just became friends and stayed stayed in touch over the years. And so when I started really thinking about my magician novel, I knew I had a magic expert. This novel, Bluff, is a deep dive into magic, but it's also a deep dive into poker. So then I had to find my poker experts to talk to. And once I found those people, that's when I started really working now, on it. I see the expression card sharp. Mm-hmm. Is that different from a card shark? No, card sharp, card shark with a K or card sheet. Or same thing. Same thing. Yep, they're, they're synonymous. Tell us about your lead character. So Natalie is 27. When she was 18, she won an international sleight of hand competition. But in these intervening years, she, she's had some bad career moves and some self-destructive tendencies. And so when the novel opens, she's 27 and kind of scrounging for cash and performing at bachelor parties and a lot of unsavory gigs. She's washed up at 27. She's washed up at 20, or at least she feels <laughs> washed up at 27, though her technique is excellent. And um, she ends up coming up with this idea where she's going to profile a professional card cheat. The idea being she's interested in, you know, what does a card cheat do differently from what a magician does? They both have these great moves and dexterity, but what about when the stakes really matter? Because if a magician so the, gets busted, it's not a, a big deal. A card cheat that she meets, he's playing games like poker or something, or is he doing it on the street? Thing? No, in a poker game, cheating at poker. Basically, once she meets this card sheet, a proposition comes her way to forget about the, the article she was going to write and make a few dollars. What if we team up and really make some money? And so Natalie is tempted with trying to cheat a high-stakes poker game out of over a million dollars. Oh, and it sounds like it could have some downfalls. <laughs> that maybe it isn't as good a plan as it sounds. Spoiler alert, not everything goes well. <laughs> the best laid plans. <laughs> is it a thriller? Would you call it a thriller? I, I have no idea oh. what it is. I, I feel like all of my novels, I just write to be novel novels. You know, I write what seems interesting to me, and sometimes they're 
market it as thrillers or suspense or mystery or I, I think um, if you squash all that together, that's that seems about right. It is about con artists and cheating and poker and magic. And so there are some fun twists so that the form of the book kind of has to do with the subject matter. What's coming up? Have you started your next book? I've been writing a lot of short stories, uh, so there might be a, a book there at some point. And also, I'm um, at the very early stages of what I think is going to be the world's largest art museum heist. Oh, I, I think I, you found a genre here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, these ideas, I think usually when I'm at the slogging stage of one of the books, you know, fun ideas start emerging for the next book, and it feels like I'm cheating if I think about it. And I think Stephen King actually so said this. Out, it motivates you to get done with the current book. It does. So you can move I think on. Stephen King always said that when he, when he feels like he's cheating by thinking about the next book, that's when he knows it, it might be a good idea. Oh, all right. <laughs> so we can expect the uh, multi million dollar heist coming up. You teach creative writing at MSU. Are your students involved at all in your writing? Do they critique you? Do you share your writing with them? It depends on the level. I think sometimes my introductory classes, it doesn't even occur to them that I also write. I'm not just a teacher. Um, but certainly in my at my upper level classes and my graduate students, we do talk about it. I think that's one of the things that they're interested in is not just the mechanics and the, of, of writing and the, and the tools for their, you know, fiction writing uh, toolbox, but also what is it like to to do this? What is yeah. it like to be a writer and to kind of live through a manuscript from beginning to end through publication? It gives you credibility for them. Yeah, and I think it just gives them a, a clearer sense of what this thing is that they've jumped into. How long does it take you to write a book? Um, so far, it takes like 15 to 20 years of stewing in my brain <laughs> and then about three years <laughs> to, to actually write the book. So you were seven when you got the idea for Bluff. <laughs> Michael Cardos is the author of Bluff, and I thank you so much for coming in, Michael. Okay, thanks so much. Hear this conversation again whenever you, uh, whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. Listen tomorrow at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Mississippi State University Center for Distance Education, providing online programs and certification at the graduate and undergraduate levels. Distance at State, even there you're here. More information at distance.msstate.edu. 